before, I said, full disclosure here, I'm preaching on hell today when your kid is being baptized, you know. And uh, it's, it's uh, obviously an important topic, and um, we're so thankful to God that we have freedom from that fear in Jesus Christ. But uh, I'll invite you to look in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We'll read the first seven verses there in Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verses 1 through 7, page 1483 in the uh, black-colored Bibles there, 1483, Luke chapter 12, we'll read the first seven verses there. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Christ, every year when I teach 12th grade catechism, when we are learning about the consequences of sin, we do a brief study on how the Bible depicts hell. Hell and its chief resident, Satan, or the or the devil and uh, his demons, are not something our society likes to spend a lot of time on or give any credence to. Hell, for many, is just an imaginary punishment concept meant to scare people into doing right rather than doing wrong. Don't do bad things. You'll end up being punished for it in hell. Of course, the Bible tells a different story. The Bible tells us that Satan is a fallen angel who had conversations with God himself, with God's own son, Jesus, and even with human beings. And that his domain, if you can call it that, is a real place known as hell. Not a place we can find by traveling somewhere on earth, but a place nonetheless. A place that will be the final eternal place of punishment for the devil, his angels, or what we often call demons, and for those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who are not the elect of God. And this place called hell is no place you want to spend eternity, nor even visit on a two-week vacation. Hell is depicted in at least five ways in the Bible. These are five verses that I have my 12th graders look up in our little Bible study. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, hell is depicted as total separation from God, shut out from the presence of the Lord. Mark 9, verse 43, 
Hell is depicted as fire, a fire that never goes out. Matthew 25, verse 41. Hell is depicted as being the place where all those who are cursed end up together. That's not a joyful fellowship at all. Revelation 14, verse 11. Hell is depicted as a place of suffering. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And 2 Peter 2, verse 17. Hell is depicted as a place of blackest darkness. These are just a few of the horrific depictions of hell in the Bible. The Bible is quite clear. Hell is a real place, not made up, not just a concept, not imaginary. Hell is real. I'm sure these and other places in God's Word led Dante Alighieri, the 14th century poet, to write his divine comedy, three books of poetry, the first of which is called The Inferno, where Dante is traveling through his own depiction of hell, and he is being led through hell by the ghost of Virgil. And Virgil says to him as they are about to enter hell, through me is the way to the city of woe. Through me is the way to sorrow eternal. Through me is the way to the lost below. And then he says this, Abandon all hope, you who enter. Now, I know that quote is not in the Bible, but that's a sentence that will strike fear into someone, into anyone. Abandon all hope, you who enter. Entering a place like that, I'm sure none of us want any part of that, not even for a moment, let alone an eternity. And the Bible teaches us that When we talk about heaven and hell as our final resting place, we are talking about being somewhere forever and ever, all eternity. When we think about the fears we've had, we've talked about inadequacy and temptations and circumstances, and last week the fear of death, and we've said that it is Jesus who meets those fears head on and gives us freedom from those fears. So today we're thinking about gaining freedom from hell itself, that fear. Now I want to tell you a little something about the context of this passage that we read earlier in Luke 12. Jesus has just been invited to eat with a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a very learned teacher of the Old Testament law who kept every single possible law, regulation, and rule there was. And they even built up extra laws that we call their oral traditions around the Old Testament laws so that they would never even come close to breaking a commandment. And this was their way to salvation. Keep every possible commandment and then some perfectly and you will earn salvation, resurrection, and an eternal home with God. Classic works righteousness. I can work my way into eternal fellowship with God. Now the problem was, Jesus could see right through them. Jesus saw that through their outward appearances, though their outward appearances and rituals had a spit and polished finish to them, their hearts were filled with greed and wickedness and disregard for the poor and no love in their hearts for God whatsoever. So Jesus spends an entire dinner time with a bunch of them pointing out this very thing to them. And he points it out with woe language. Woe language is bad. 
It means you got some bad things coming to you because of how you're living your life. You're hypocrites. You're play acting. You do something good like give to the poor, but you're a fake because all you want to do is make sure people see you do it and give you credit for it. And this is how you approach entry into the kingdom of God also. If I do all these good things, God will mark me down for credit and he'll open the door to his kingdom for me. Jesus says, that is not how this works. Woe to you for doing that and for teaching your brother and sister Jews to do it also. You're supposed to be teaching people how to love God and love their neighbor. And instead, you're teaching them how to be hypocrites. Basically, Jesus was telling them, you're not going anywhere good. You're going to be punished for this eternally. Woe to you. So in the verse before chapter 12, where we read... It's no wonder when we read, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say, trying to trap him. They're furious with Jesus, and the people all know it. Then we come to chapter 12. The crowd is in the thousands now, and they're gathering around Jesus and trampling each other. And Jesus begins teaching his disciples again, first to them, and then his word will echo out to the greater crowd. Now stop there for a moment. Think about that. The religious establishment of the Jews, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, elders, they are now fully against Jesus. And they have a lot of control. They have a lot of power. They can make lives miserable. And what Jesus is about to tell his disciples is for them to stay strong. Stay strong against those Pharisees. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. They're hypocrites. They're spewing hypocrisy. They're just pretending we do everything right. We, of all people, will safely enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is telling his disciples, no, they won't. And I don't want you to be afraid of them. That's the context here. And we know that because in verse 8, that's past where we read. We read to verse 7. In verse 8, Jesus is telling them, I've been the one teaching you the right teaching about me. And I want you to acknowledge me before others. I want you to acknowledge me before others. I want you to not be afraid of those Pharisees. Not get sucked into what they're teaching. I want you to tell others about me. I want you to stay strong in your mission, in telling others the good news, even in the face of opposition. I want you to do that. You acknowledge me before others. I will acknowledge you before the angels of God. Judgment day, right? Don't acknowledge me. Disown me before others, and you'll be disowned before the angels of God. Judgment day. So you understand what's happening. The context of what we read is that this is a pep talk by Jesus to his disciples to keep following him, to keep telling others about him, and someday soon keep spreading the good news about him after he dies, rises, and ascends into heaven. That's our context. 
You disciples have to stay strong and keep doing this, even if it means opposition from those powerful Pharisees. And of course, the disciples will find out later that it will even mean staying strong in the face of opposition from anyone, from Rome, from persecution, from even those who will martyr them. You keep testifying about who I am because I am your entrance into the kingdom of God. All right. Got that? Now, back to hell we go. And our first stop on our way is Judgment Day. That's all part of the fear of hell too, isn't it? The day when, as Jesus tells his disciples, nothing will be left unrevealed. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Did you hear that, friends? That is absolutely terrifying, isn't it? Nothing you have done, said, thought, will be left unrevealed on Judgment Day. Absolutely terrifying to think about that, isn't it? My every action, my every word, my every thought, my every attitude on full display. I wonder if Moses got a taste of this as he knelt down before the burning bush, as he with trembling hands removed his sandals on this holy ground and hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I wonder if Isaiah got a taste of this when he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Angels were everywhere calling to each other, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the doors and the thresholds shook, and the temple filled with smoke. Woe to me, he cried. I'm ruined. I have unclean lips. I wonder if that was just a tiny glimpse of Judgment Day, when all will be revealed. Here Jesus is, passing judgment on the Pharisees, of course, telling his disciples that even the Pharisees who do it all so right, obey law upon law, even the Pharisees have their secrets. Jesus sees them, of course, but on Judgment Day, all will be revealed. Nothing left unconcealed. For the Pharisees, for the disciples, for us. That is absolutely terrifying. And then Jesus explains it even further. Disciples, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
and the realization had to have hit them. This isn't just a little sermon about those Pharisees. It's a sermon about us too. Who of us here? Who of us here, after all? Can after five minutes of reflection in silence can truthfully say, I've thought it through. My actions, my words, my thoughts, my attitudes, I've thought it through and I think I'm going to be okay. After five minutes, I am undone. Five seconds of reflection, I am undone. I am found out. I am guilty. I am consigned to somewhere I do not want to go. I told you last week about my friend Jim who died young and wrote about his impending death from cancer. This was my childhood friend. Our mothers walked us together in our strollers on the streets of Berwyn, Illinois. He three months older than I. This is the friend I went to opening day at Wrigley Field with in fourth grade and we froze with our dads and left early because it was snowing. This is the friend who I biked to Brookfield Zoo with, went to a Huey Lewis in the News concert with, roomed with for a semester in college. We were each other's best man. I followed him to seminary and into pastoral ministry in the Christian Reformed Church. He preached at my ordination into the ministry, and I commiserated with him about his cancer at 36 years old. And that was the year he went home to Jesus. I told you last week that he wrote about his cancer in a sermon that he was not afraid of death per se, but he was afraid of dying, how long it would take, what kind of pain he would be in. But I didn't tell you everything. Dying was indeed a fear in his cancer battle, but, but he writes, when I say I was scared, I was truly scared with another fear altogether. You see, I was expecting that I had a few decades yet to go. I assumed that I had 40 or 50 years yet, years, years in which I would earn my way, be a kind old man whose sin wasn't so significant anymore, and who, well, of course, would be received by God because he was good to animals. Jim loved dogs and cats and picked up the mail for his neighbors when they went on vacation. It's silly thinking and scary, he continues, because suddenly I wasn't looking at 50 years, but five months or seven months, probably not two years, almost certainly not more than that. My appointment was moving up. Now I would meet my judge, not kind and old, but soon with not enough time to undo the wrong, not enough time to straighten out what's been crooked in me all those years, and not enough time to prepare, to clean up. That's what I was scared of. And as his friend, I can attest to the truth that he did need to clean up, to prepare, to straighten out what was crooked, to undo the wrong, I was his college roommate. I knew that about him. And he knew it about me. That, beloved, that 
fear, that thing my, Jim, my friend Jim was afraid of, was hell, wasn't it? Was hell. The total reveal of Judgment Day and what it could lead to. So we have these Pharisees whom Jesus is pointing out that what they're trying to do by obeying the law as perfectly as they possibly could isn't going to cut it because of the state of their hearts. Woe to them! And we have my friend Jim, a Christian Reformed pastor of all people. He ought to know better. He, in a manner of speaking, wishing he could do the very same thing. Something we all wish for, I think. I know I do. I can clean things up, make things right, so I get to go to the right place. And Jesus is pointing out to him and to me and to you, to all of us, that's not going to cut it come judgment day. And I have the authority as God to throw you into hell. That is truly terrifying because hell is truly terrifying. But you know how Jesus met that fear as he was speaking to his disciples? He told them, do not be afraid. Not a single sparrow. How much were they worth? Two for a penny. You pay a penny, you get five sparrows. You pay two cents, or you get two sparrows. You pay two cents, then you give you four, and they'll throw in an extra one for free. Not a single half-cent sparrow is forgotten by God. And by the way, he knows how many hairs you start out with, how many you lose, how many you end up with. 145,000 for blondes, 120,000 for brunettes, 90,000 for redheads on average. God knows that. God cares about that. God loves like that. And also, by the way, you disciples are worth more than many sparrows. All this to say, God loves you and showed it by giving this same Jesus to the world to die for our sins and to receive the punishment for our sins. He did it. He lived the perfect life. Pharisees, Jim, Raj, all of us, he did that. He obeyed every law, perfection. And then he died to pay for our sins, every last one. He cleaned things up. He made things right. He straightened out what was crooked. He made it so that we don't have to go to hell. He did that. While we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the word right there, yet or still. It's the word eti in Greek. That's the tiny word, three letters, with the big meaning that shook my friend Jim to the core and shook him out of that fear that he was struggling against with five months to live, that he was scared about. Christ did it while we were still 
sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 5, verse 8. Jesus is telling us, telling his disciples here, do not fear hell because God loved you by sending me to die for your sins. So fear God. Be in awe of God. Trust in God. Fear God. But do not fear hell. No need to. If you trust in God, if you fear God, are in awe of God, and believe in his son Jesus Christ, no need to fear hell. And you know what else he says, right? Remember the context? You don't need to fear hell, and that is something to not stay quiet about. Jesus says, publicly acknowledge me. Tell others this good news. Don't stay quiet about it, even in the face of opposition. Those Pharisees, remember? What a good thing. We're in the home stretch of the Gospel Summary Memorization Challenge. We learned those verses, all seven, by Easter Sunday, so we can tell others the good news, so that we don't stay quiet about it. Freedom from the fear of hell, what a story we can tell. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you meet our greatest fears head on. You meet them head on. In the life you lived, in the death you died, in the rising to resurrection life, you met our fears head on especially this one as we think about it today, the fear of hell, the fear of a place so absolutely terrifying we can't even imagine what it would be like, nor do we want to. But you say, just fear me, fear God. Put your trust in God, reverence God. Be filled with awe over what I've done. For you, nothing to fear, not even hell itself. We thank you for that wondrous good news. Help us to publicly acknowledge it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh.